You're listening to a bonus episode of The Dairy Age, featuring Chagask's weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also available as a podcast. Good morning, everybody, and you're very welcome to our Let's Talk Dairy uh, webinar for today. Okay, we're joined We're joined here by Joe Patton from uh, the, head, the Dairy KT team. A few weeks ago, Joe, on the on the Let's Talk Dairy webinar, we had Mike Egan on. And Mike has been talking about maybe some revisions in the whole dry matter allowances for dairy cows. So mm. look, I want to get your thoughts on what uh, Mike has been telling us about that. So where, where do we start at all? Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a good one. Um, funny, it co- you, you can come at this in two ways. Like Mike has been measuring the intake. I know we had predicted intakes previously based off the of the energy and protein requirements for the animal. Yep. Uh, but they've measured the intakes and the int- you're really talking about sort of a kilo and a half more than what we would have been previously talking. But something I've been looking at lately too is going back and, and doing some re there's a new there's sort of revisions on the on the system as well on the French system around the, the, the requirements for for maintenance and milk. And if you look at the revised requirements as well, they end up coming up with an assumption of about a kilo and a half extra intake required. And a lot of that is for maintenance actually. So the maintenance cost of cows might, yeah, yeah. So rather we used to be saying five and a half UFLs for maintenance. It's more like maybe six and a half now on a grazing and more so there's been good revisions made about, you know, the cost of maintenance on, 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 on grazing systems, a little, all that walking and those tougher nights and all that kind of stuff. It does add maybe UFL extra in, in, in the requirement. So, you know, Mike's Mike measured it. And if you work, if you work it out with a, with a, on paper or you work it out on on in the in the field it kind of comes out to sort of that kilo kilo and a half extra intake and look at you know i'd say and and joseph dunphy probably would say similar that when you look at the way grass budgets went over the last few years people always ran slightly ahead maybe yeah in, in some cases and if ground conditions are good you could see the cows were eating more than what was on paper and maybe it, what that was leading to was a tight corner maybe in the end of march early april because we were the Cows were going a little bit faster than maybe what they were predicted to do. So that revision's probably probably borne out a little bit um, in terms of what happens on the ground as well. I don't know, Joe, would you would you agree with that? But I think maybe cows are able, were eating a bit more than what we were we were saying and still achieving the residuals as well. So you know, there's a there, it's it's probably a tweak, but it's an important one. With my own group, Joe, I was always saying they always talk about having plenty of grass in the spring, but there's no grass at the end of March. Mm, mm. Say, How does that happen? So obviously this is part of this is feeding into that. Uh, yeah, well, there's two things there. Like obviously stocking rates have gone up on farms. So um it's you if you go back years ago, we used to be trying to get the spring rotation planner really was an exercise in trying to get people to go out early. Now, I suppose as Joe Dunphy's talking about and Grass Tenor talking about there, it's the need for the budget to make sure that you don't go too far ahead because people know the benefits of getting out early. It's a matter of not going too far. So maybe the maybe the uh, the bad week has kind of put the brakes on at a time when it, the brakes probably had to go on anyway. On a lot of with all, with all the giving out we've got from the two Johns and Joe so over the last couple of weeks about people grazing too fast, here we are now coming up to the end of March and we'll just be about on target with the way the weather turned from us. Well, that's what my neighbour says. He says, it'll all work out. What are you worried about? Sure, it'll, it'll all... <laughs> <laughs> it'll work. But look, it, 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 it's... The benefits of the early grazing was clear for all to see in February. Like, geez, like people had a great, a great time. And I think that should be remembered. We always remember the bad spring. Yeah, we should remember the good springs too, you know, okay. and what we learned in them. Yeah, yeah. we're just we're just going to anchor here now for a second, Joe. So we've someone here. The herd of cows they have is heading towards a peak of say thirty-one or thirty-two liters. Yeah, calves 
their mean calving date somewhere in the 10th and 15th. What yeah. would be what would you would be the typical or kind of recommended daily allowance intake, and then maybe they're getting four or five kilos a meal. We'll say it's what would the daily intake allowance be for those sort of herds at the moment? In at the moment, is it yeah. in at considering there's grass? Yeah, right. look at in in that situation, they're kind of well settled, maybe slightly earlier calved. Yeah, you're going to be in that ballpark and sort of the five six kilo mark, George, in terms of concentrate. Um, and you're really talking if it's grass by day or maybe two bouts of grass. Like if it's grass by day, what are you getting in? You're getting in six kilos of maybe seven kilos of grass, um, and maybe five to six kilos of concentrate. That's bringing it to twelve. They're going to be needing five six access to five six kilos of good quality silage. Uh, that's mostly around bale for quality round yeah. bale cows. That's that's kind of it. And look at um with grazing management, with good silage and good grazing management. You know, obviously, you want to you want the silage gone or close to gone, and by the, by the early by the early part of the by by early morning that it, they're going they're going out with a bit of an edge on them. But maybe the second bout, if possible, might be as big a thing as anything, depending on the budget, obviously, because people some people are behind. But if you're looking at that sort of getting up to sort of the seventeen kilos, pushing towards eighteen, and a little more with it over the next couple of weeks as cows move through lactation, that's probably where you'd need to be. So look at. I'm getting a few queries lately is kind of, you know, when people are in full time or, you know, in at night or maybe only getting a few kilos, are we going up to seven and eight kilos of concentrate? To me, like, it's kind of different. If you're saying for somebody that's going to be freshly calved in November and they're going to be going into 100 days where they're guaranteed to be indoors, right? Yeah. You'll settle them in on seven or eight kilos of concentrate and build them up to that. The issue with the situation at the moment is, even though the cows are milking well, Going up to seven or eight kilos in the short term and then taking it all back out again could cause more problems than it'll fix. So I would be thinking more getting them at that sort of five, six kilo rate when they're inside and back down to the three fours quickly when they're when they're sort of settled into two grazing bouts a day. So even though on paper you'd be saying, oh, geez, these cows are going to be short. I'd suffer it for a week rather than risk the digestive problems of pushing up to very high concentrate levels if you're only going to be in for the short term. And as Joe Dunphy has promised us there, things are going to get better over the next week. So what's the point in building up to eight kilos to come back down again? You're going to have prob- digestive problems if you keep if you keep moving around too much. Okay. I was everything that emphasizes, Joe, is the importance of having a, a kind of a bank of good quality silage to feed cows. A hundred percent, George. I think the whole thing, it's very simple. If there's a block of 74, 75 DMD silage in the yard, you've got good opening covers, you're only ever really going to be fluctuating between sort of three to six kilos of concentrate in the spring. Yeah. You don't really have a problem. Uh, the cows are happy enough and they'll eat, they'll eat the silage and graze out the grass properly. So, you know, talking to, to Martina yesterday, actually, she was talking to a group in the south and that came up. What do we do? We have bad silage and the cows are stuck inside. What do we do? And she said to them, it's too late to do anything about it. You need to think mm-hmm. about what silage you're going to make for next year, mm-hmm. in a way, because you're stuck with what you have. So if you're sick of bad silage this year, the most important response to that is make, make some better year. stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Joseph, tell us about the ration spec then that you're talking about for those you know, three to six kilos a meal. Yeah, so look. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so look, we've we've spoken about this a little bit over the, over the past couple of years. Um, and I think to just break it down and keep it quite simple, um, I suppose, look, the way the way we would look at that is for any of the specs, George, like think of it this way. What we're really looking at is it's a glorified three-way mix, really. Maybe not that glorified, but what it is, is a cereal, a pulp and 
a protein source, right? So your cereals is obviously going to be barley or maize, yep. uh, beet pulp or soya hulls, uh, as it, and then distillers maybe as the protein source. So that's kind of 30%, 30%, 30%, right? And then the final 10% is made up of your minerals. So that's going to be uh, obviously CalMag, salt, some calcium, some phosphorus, some perhaps some molasses as well, obviously, and a bit of oil, right? So that 10% is made up of all those other bits plus your trace elements. But the, the 30, 30, 30 is your sort of cereal pulp and your um, protein source. Now, if you had fed it as barley, let's say if it was barley beet pulp and hulls, for example, sorry, barley beet pulp and distillers, that's going to come out at 14%, right? Mm. To make that into a 16% ration, you basically take out 10 of the distillers and put in 10 of soya. Mm. So the only difference between a 14 and a 16 should be whether there's 10% soya in there or not, if that makes sense. So it's relatively yeah. straightforward. Mm. And look at if you're on very dry, if you're on a very dry track and you know that it's pretty much grasped by full time every year and things are very simple, you might be starting out the year with a 14% ration. If you're in a situation like that's your sort of curtains farm, if you want to say it like that. The Ballyhays farm or maybe Solihead as a, as an as an alternative might be where you're going to you know you're going to be in at night or whatever over a few nights in the spring you probably would kick for touch a little bit and go with a 16% for the first uh, for the first load, if you like. So really, when you think about it, the difference in a 14% and a 16% in that context is whether you've got 10% soya included or not. And everything and else stays relatively similar. And you go with the 16 if you're indoors by night sort of thing. Kind of would, yeah. And look, the question comes up then, you know, what happens if I'm, I have a 14 in the bin and I have to go in at night? Yeah. <laughs> You know, in first principles would say you should add a bit of protein, which the easiest way to do that is add a bit of soya on the silage. But again, I'm very conscious of having the idea of people going around the yard with buckets and all this kind of stuff. Will it be worth it for them? Yeah, it's, it's debatable. I think if you could get grass in by day, it takes a lot of that problem uh, out of it, to be honest. Yeah. So look, that's it, it, it. They will be deficient in protein if they're on silage and 14 percent. They'll yeah. be okay over the short term for if they're on a 16%. So I suppose, look, a lot of these things is you'd say there's the diet for today and it looks deficient in protein, but will they be back out tomorrow? Are you going to do all, I, like oftentimes, you know, a lot of it said it to me lately, he says, I was going to order the soy. He says, by the time the soy was ordered, the cows are back out again. And by the time it was delivered, mm -hmm. the cows are back out. And now I had to feed the soy to use it up. So are you getting a good response out of that? Probably not. So like the usual thing, like for a day or two, in theory, you should. But in practice, do you really want to bother? That's like it. And I, I look, at, I think what we should be focusing on really is that if there's a bit of messing going on at the minute and things are hard on stock, an extra kilo of concentrate or so while they're inside and make sure that they're well fed and full to avoid. I think avoiding health problems is a bigger issue than worrying about a pint or two in protein, to be honest. Question coming in there, Joe. Any need for an 18% ration if you're only grazing for a few hours? No, on a heavy, no, 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 on a no, heavy no, no, no. Look, I, I don't think so. I think, look, at, I think um, the way I look at it is if guaranteed, as I said, real dry farm, you probably can go with 14 the whole time. And you're probably dropping that back to 12 actually in the summer. Yeah, if you're okay. on a, if you're on a spring calving system mm -hmm. where you're going to be on wet ground or heavy land, um, you sort of, you know, your, your typical sort of heavy, heavy type ground, you're sort of saying, 16 for the first load maybe and then back to 14 and the only difference is the change in soya where would you use an 18 
you would really only be using an 18 if you're sort of, I think you're really only using it if you're calving in the autumn and you're heading into the winter and they're going to be inside on silage for over 100 days or 120 days. So to me, the 18% ration in a spring calving context is a thing of the past, to be honest. Okay. Joe, just move on then a little bit. and Look, we've breeding week going on this week and yourself, Stuart, and the whole office are doing bits and pieces over the week. There's a lot going on. But I wanted to tell us a bit about kind of steaming up now cows for breeding in the next month or so. You know, these spring calving cows. What, what's, what are the key criteria there for, for that? What are your key guidelines? The key guidelines is, um, well, a couple of things there. Really, when we talk about nutrition and uh, fertility, George, what are we really saying? Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about energy status, which is really body condition score yeah. and mineral status as well. Yeah. OK, we'll take the body condition one first. Um, we've tried and failed for, well, we've we've actually given up doing these trials because we know if you go back to the mid 2000s and into the into the sort of from about to the year 2000 to about 2015, we did a pilot trials that said, here's two genotypes of cows or two breed types and either two, four or six kilos a meal over the breeding season and see does the feeding six kilos a meal make the cows go in calf? How many times did we do that trial? Twenty. <laughs> there was hundreds of cows done on that trial, right? Mm-hmm. Feed them more, oh. see will go in calf. And the outcome of that has been over years, there was no difference in conception rate and no difference in empty rate, right? But Joe, but Joe, there was a difference. And the difference that the cows fed the two kilos were we managed really, really well. True, true. Well, we'll take that into yeah. That's what a lot of people forget when they talk about that. That's that's true. But look at George, we've lots of people who have cows managed poorly feeding six kilos and they're still not going to calf. They won't go in calf, no. No, right. So the solution to bad management isn't more meal. No, it's not. Even though there's a sort of a bit of an industry built on the idea around that, it's not the case. We've tried it forever and we've given up doing that trial. And I was actually looking at figures from one of the Hillsborough trials, actually, outside of the Chagas stable, if you like, doing a similar trial a few years back where the Fed, I think it was from a half a tonne of concentrate up to maybe 1.8 tonne of concentrate across the year. And there was no difference in conception rate or empty rate. I think that 20% empty across all the meal types, but the breed types, the difference was between 10% for high fertility genetics and 30% for low fertility genetics. So if you want to sort out a fertility problem in terms of conception rate, it's listen to what's been said in Breeding Week around the genetics. You know this, you've been right, you've done it for a long time. (laughs) So to draw the attention of it. So that is, and that's the reality. Look, if we thought that feeding six kilos a meal in the month of April and May would put the cows in calf, why wouldn't we say it? It would make our lives easier. So what do you feed, Joe? High quality grass that Joe's talking about. And maybe you're probably talking about in that sort of two kilo feeding rate Mm. with the part of the reason for that is to get the mineral profile Right. Okay. So high quality pasture is pre-grazing yields of 1400. Uh, Fiber levels are probably sort of high 30s to maybe maximum about 40. If you've got lower fiber in the grass, you're going to get more grass into the cows, which is more energy into the cows is what we want. People tend to discount the energy in grass for some reason and focus that all the energy is coming from the meal. It's not really the case. So if we get the fiber down and manage the wedge, as Joe was showing a few minutes ago, Yep. You could get an extra two kilos of intake in by the, in the in the grass. I think where we run into problems is where maybe not so much in April, but certainly when you start to get into mid-May, into the second, third week of breeding, and grass quality goes down the tube, really, because it gets out of hand. 
our intakes would actually drop because of the fiber in the grass. So if you want to do your cows a favor, get on top of the grass quality during the breeding season. And that's that's the thing, right? The two kilos a meal then, I suppose, is going in. It does give a wee top up in terms of that top up on energy for sure. Yeah. Any more than that, we're starting to get substitution. We're starting to lose grass intake. So we're not really getting a major difference in um, in, in energy intake. The more meal we feed, the less grass grass the cows will eat okay so the two kilos is there sort of to make sure you get in your um to get, make sure to get in your um your, your minerals and we kick extra in energy we talk about minerals now in a second i, I sorry i should just finish off yeah. that really it's body condition george isn't it like if the cows are in good nick they're well fed you have that sort of covered right so and in that wet week or those few very tight days, maybe having enough grass come along, how would you feed then? You yeah, two look, kilos tonight. What do you do? You're probably saying your two kilos. If you're really bad and conditions are poor, you might you might stretch that up to sort of three to three to four kilos if things are very bad. But the main thing is then does the does that mean does that come back out again? Yeah, and it should quickly. come back out fairly quickly. Yeah, because if you leave it in, you really are just wasting grass, right? And what would your grass allowance be, Joe, for her peaking around say thirty two liters? At thirty-two liters, maybe twenty, would it? It's going to be with in with the meal and grass included. The, those cows will be probably on an allowance of eighteen, and they'll eat the meal along with it. They'll be eating nineteen to twenty yeah. kilos. I'd say we're only giving them. They will. They will give them out of twenty advantage. I you will. You will. But look, you're going to run that on the basis of when you get into that period. It's twenty-four hour allocations, managing yeah. it through the residuals. You know, basically, if if you you have to look at the residuals and get those right for sure. But mm. you can get them right and overdo it as well. Like if you, I think yeah. Michael O'Donovan's work from a few years ago was showing grazing the three and a half in the summer was hitting on solids and hitting on body condition, whereas maybe grazing above four but not over four and a half was getting you to a good balance between intake and grass quality. So there's a balance there too. Like we can we can graze it down very tight every time, but it can pinch the cows as well. And we've seen that on farms too. Like, haven't we? We've seen it that where people have adjusted a little bit and give the cows an extra wee bit. They've eaten that and the residuals are still good and uh, they're getting extra output as a result. And maybe cows are a little bit healthier as well. So there's that's in it too, do you know? It's kind of a, it's a fine line. I want to move on to the minerals though, but before we go on yeah. to the minerals, there's a question in there. If you have grass... I presume the intent of your grass, which not just be better to feed uh, the minerals for the breeding season. Yeah. Through a system or something like that. If, you know? if possible, if you have plenty of grass, that's possible, right? But I suppose, look, I'm just thinking here for the for a lot of people, um, and we, we want to s- squeeze that down into the smallest amount of concentrate possible. I suppose if you have the system set up and you can feed the minerals through water, et cetera, then that's fair enough. But yeah. do your sums on that too. Um, it becomes relatively um it, 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 it it's it's marginal enough at times i would say uh, and like the, the thing about it is most people are going to have the infrastructure there to feed the concentrate anyway mm. so um if you can get them off and get them off meal that's fair enough i i think it's a, it becomes a marginal enough call but i think the main issue for the industry is not the the kilo that's going in to carry minerals the main issue is probably the fact that people are feeding four and five to try and Cover. Yeah. And I, I've been on a great few farms over the last couple of years that have, you know, mineral delivery systems in place and they're still feeding five kilos of meat. Absolutely. Absolutely. How many of them do you see around the place? A lot Plenty of them. 
Did you want to talk about minerals a minute, Joe? Yeah, just on the minerals thing, um, and it's a good, it's a good, it's a good point. Like, I mean, at, uh, if you can get the minerals in, by all means, uh, by all means, do. But you know, it's either way. I, I, we should make this point as well that there's no point in adding in two sources of minerals. It should be, you know, it's a, it's a, it's one or the other. Like, you pick your choice and and, and off you go. Because sometimes you've got situations where there's more than one source of minerals going in, which is not, which is expensive and it's not, um, it, it's not, it's not very productive to do that. But just a quick point on it, I suppose, George, is that when we talk about minerals, we have to separate out the sort of macro minerals or the, the major minerals from the trace minerals, right? So calcium, magnesium and phosphorus obviously would be the major minerals sodium as well obviously that's your salt versus your things like copper and selenium and iodine okay the reason you want to make a distinction between the two of them is that um trace minerals are are needed in very very small quantities you can bolus them if you want or you can add them very in in ways like that whereas the macro minerals need to go in pretty much every day and they need to go in in big chunky bits they're going in in grams per day you're talking spoonsful spoonfuls of the stuff and i've seen it on a few farms over the last few years where maybe there's a problem with phosphorus for example yeah and lads are saying i have a mineral problem and i'm i'm bolusing the cows but i have a mineral problem why have i still got a mineral problem there phosphorus has to be fixed through the feed or through the water not through a bolus because you need your cow needs about ballpark needs about 65 grams of phosphorus a day if the grass is tight for phosphorus that might be as low as 45 you need to add in 20 grams of extra phosphorus a day, which yeah. if you're putting it through the meal is about six, seven grams per, per day of extra phosphorus through the meal, right? So I, I my, the advice would be there, and I've spoken to Seamus in the in the vet labs and at Lone of this over a few years, and, and Marissa in, 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 in Kilkenny as well, the idea would be just test the cows in mid-April if you think you have a mineral problem. It, if it shows up a phosphorus problem on the minerals, fix the phosphorus problem. If it shows up a copper problem, fix the copper problem. But we need to move away from the idea that minerals are minerals. It's it's be more specific than that. That's the main point. Well, the other one, Joe, that's tended to be prevalent or deficient everywhere is iodine. Yeah. Iodine, iodine is, yeah. Magnesium, well, magnesium is a tricky enough one, isn't it? Because it'll be gone quick enough. It'll be gone quick enough. But again, with iodine, it's a good question, George, that we, we, we just need to be a bit careful with iodine, that we can be a bit too liberal with it. Um, yeah. We can be bolusing and adding it to water and putting it. And I, I can see the logic. If somebody's had a problem with iodine, they're not going to take any chances and they're firing a lot of iodine. But like sort of 13, I, don't, I think the figures about 12, 13 milligrams or thereabouts uh, um, would be the total amount of additional iodine fed, not 40 yeah. or 50. Uh, yeah. And what we want to do is be careful that we don't overdo it because we'd have residue in in, in milk then if, yeah. if we overdo yeah. it. So we don't want to over. So pick a pick a, a, an option and go with it yeah. rather than pick three options for, for or two or three options for iodine. That's the way I would say. So look yeah. at, let's say, for example, there's a major copper problem on the farmers, copper selenium problem, and yeah. you want to hit that quickly, you're probably saying a copper selenium bolus, not a bolus yeah. that has a pile of iodine in it as well. Yeah. 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 Question come in there. What about pasture dusting? With CalMag, I presume. We can I get look at another yeah. in, another option, of course. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose we have the water option, the pasture dusting option, um and 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 the concentrate option as well. I think the, the main thing on the the main thing of that, I suppose it depends on where you're 
I suppose the higher the inclusion rate you can get in the concentrate, the more competitive that would be. Obviously, the pasture dusting can be can be beneficial, but it's another it's another task. Yeah, possibly quite inefficient in ways, depending on how it's done. Um, the water option is a good option too for for mag. They they will all work, I think, as long as you're hitting the you know. It's difficult because you know you talk to some people and say I went to the pasture dust and it's a great job, and other people say oh I, I don't like it. I'd rather just give a kilo of concentrate. So as long as you're hitting the intake of Calmag, um, either way, it's as I'm saying, either way, whichever one you choose, pick one and go with it. Um, I wouldn't be against it at all. But you know, the problem with pasture dusting is it's hitting probably Mag only. It's only Mag, yeah. Uh, you still have to maybe get in phosphorus, so you still may have to get in your trace metal elements as well. So there's more to there's more to minerals than just mag, I suppose. You know. Okay. Uh, question come in there. What would you be looking to test for the cows for pre-breeding? Is there any, are there any specific tests to ask for? Yeah, I think yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think look at to me anyway. The, the 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 big one to be looking at. If you take your blood test, I should say. If we're doing anything like this, you're probably looking at doing something that's probably three weeks ahead of two to three weeks, at least three weeks ahead of breeding, I would say, taking the samples, having the samples back to allow you a couple of weeks to do something about a deficiency problem if it's there. Uh, certainly phosphorus would be definitely one. You're probably looking for your copper and selenium levels, maybe iodine levels as well. But I think copper, selenium, iodine um It'd be the big one, and anyway. phosphorus would be it would be the big one. So your three trace elements, and then your one your one big one would be the would be the phosphorus for sure. I think the phosphorus is always turning up a bit like um, milk fever, isn't it? How do you mean now? It, it, as a symptom in symptomatic, it, it, they're often confused. Yeah, yeah, and look, we we've seen it over the year in the, in the milking cows. We've seen a bit of it in the last few seasons, maybe where cows are licking stones and this kind of stuff in the month of April. If you're seeing that, you'd be thinking you'd have to at least be first first thing you'd be thinking of is phosphorus, and you have to rule that out. It yeah. does it does have a clinical behavioral thing very very quickly. Generally yeah. speaking, George, what you'd see is if you have a problem with the major minerals like magnesium, phosphorus, or calcium, you're going to have a very immediate effect on the cow, yes. but and you'll also have a very immediate response to the treatment. Whereas something with like the likes of copper, it's a slow to gradual decline in performance. And maybe a slow and gradual improvement as well. Yeah, the only one that's really quick is iodine supplementation. Yeah, in, yeah, you get a, yeah. a rapid turnaround. A, a rapid turnaround in it, yeah, yeah. That's water soluble. Joe, Ed, I, we've be, to be conscious of our time, but there's a question I have to ask you, and it comes up every year. My herd is averaging thirty kilos or thirty-two liters, whatever the figure is. But if I, if I bundle the cows there, there's about ten of them, and they're doing fifty liters or they're doing forty-five liters. Do they need to be fed uh, separately? Or they need extra feed. They need to, they need to be fed differently, George. Mm. Uh, but they're they're doing that themselves. They're looking after themselves, like yeah, <laughs> to a large extent. Yes, they they are fed differently. They have different energy requirements. They have different intake requirements. But if it's a good cow doing forty five liters, she knows how to do that herself. Uh, because in funny to say, in a lot of herds, you have these cows that are sitting. You look at the milk record and you go, "Gee, there's these there's quite a range here." Uh, and again, back to some nice data from from Moorpark that, that Mike did a few years back. The range in intake. Let's say if you have an average dry matter intake of eighteen kilos of grass, for argument's sake, right? Yeah. The range in that will be sort of from fifteen, fourteen, fifteen thereabouts in your heifers, maybe up to maybe twenty two, twenty three kilos. Yeah. 
I've seen it myself actually years ago doing stuff with cows measuring intakes in the bins and that doesn't in an indoor context. Some of the bigger cows, bigger yielding cows could be doing 27, 28 kilos dry matter intake, you know, uh, even though the herd average could be 20. So they will take in that. There's a reason why they're milking. There's, you know, you have these cows that are doing, you know, three kilos of milk solids and they go and calf. It doesn't come out of thin air. They're eating, no. the, they're eating their own allocation and somebody else's as well. So, you know, but it, it does it does add a thing, though, that, you know, and I, I mean, you can see it from you can see it in herds that are maybe new herds or expanded herds. The intakes were lower because you had a higher proportion of heifers. Yeah. But as, as cows mature and as the herd matures, like if you only have 16, 70 percent heifers in the herd and you have a lot of older cows, their intake on average is going to be higher than a herd yeah. that is 40, 50 percent first calvers. You know, and the funny thing is, if they're the well-bred for both fertility and milk, you'll find that they that they, they're actually put, put, doing the milk without pulling it off their back. That's the thing. The whole That's condition. The, so look at, I, yeah, I, I think, look at in a, in a sort of standard spring calving scenario where you don't have a big range in calving dates, for example, and it's relatively straightforward. We need to simplify the thing and we sort of need to allow those cows to, to do their own thing a little bit. Now, I would say this too, that, you know, if you do feed them, you may get a, a bit of milk yield response it'll be an expensive thing to get because you'd have to have all the tech to do that but it probably won't have any benefit to fertility yeah, yeah fair enough joe listen we're going to wrap it here but before you go breeding week has been going on i was down in kildalton yesterday with a great turnout all and a really good crowd is an excellent day and then mm. that's a brilliant job down there but uh, what's coming up in the next the last day or two of the breeding week can you tell us <laughs> yeah, probably in the spot yeah, there. The, <laughs> no, I think the the main thing really to think of this evening, I suppose, is to is to breed and webinar. It's a sort of a state of the union uh, thing. We've got uh, Dunaberry and from from Moor Park, Margaret Kelleher from uh, ICBF, and Philip Donahue, dairy farmer, is joining the joining the panel as well. And that's really to look at. I suppose take a bigger picture look at things, George. I mean, we've been around in the different we've been around different parts of the country this spring, this week, answering all the 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 detailed questions about what bulls would I use on my herd and all the rest of it. But we probably do need as well to take a look at where the overall picture is going now in terms of, you know, where is genomics going, genotype in the national herd, for example, where the beef genetics will fit in all the issues around that and maybe, you know, how more data-driven decisions. So like with Donna, Margaret and, and Philip, there'd be a nice balance there between the science of it and the practice of it as well. So that's that's the the, the main event, I suppose, for, for this evening. So that should be that should be interesting for farmers, for for advisors as well, and industry people as well. Because you know, it's one thing about the breeding, by definition, breeding is a forward-looking science. It's always about the future. Um and I think the rate of change, it's really when we go back and look at the, how much things have changed, even in the last 10 years, the rate of change in the national herd has been phenomenal, driven on the science right. of EBI. We want to maybe get a look at, can we continue that progress and accelerate it maybe a little bit? You know, all the questions around carbon and those issues as well, obviously, would be a big part of that too. So that webinar is on this evening. The website, the link is on the website. Um, sure, dial in if you're if you're interested, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Right. And as well, just as a final plug, on the day after, that's on Friday the 24th. Yeah. yeah. It's actually a walk on Philip's farm. So Philip's... Correct, sorry, Philip's yes, herd, sir. The genetics in Philip's herd is is the equivalent of the Lions UCD herd. And it's the equivalent of, that's of the high genetic merit animals. And it's also similar to the Johnstown Castle mm. herd. 
Yeah. So look, he's doing a phenomenal job down in outside Boris there between Boris and Gores Bridge. It's well worth a visit, guys. If you anyone or ladies, absolutely. Yeah, sh- should have said that. So Philip yeah. is Philip's uh, helping us out this evening and then showing how it, how it's done then uh, tomorrow. So that's going to be that's going to be a very interesting day too. The bonus absolutely. would be phenomenal for Philip. Listen, guys, and thank you very much. And Philip, or sorry, Joseph, thank or Joe, thanks very much for uh, coming on here to talk to us this morning. Sorry. Safe farming, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. That's all for this week's bonus episode from the Let's Talk Dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with the usual Dairy Edge podcast on Monday so do listen in then. I'm Stuart Childs and thanks for listening.